theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, welcome, everyone joining us from across the world. Bruchim Habayim. Thank you for gracing us with your presence, those who are here <coughs> on Zoom with us, those who, are, those who are here with us via Chabad.org, those who are here with us <coughs> via the yeshiva.net, those who are here with us via YouTube, via COL, via other websites <coughs> or links, our Zoom, our uh, regular Zoom students. We have our students from Pakistan. <laughs> all over Europe, Africa, the Holy Land, of course, and the uh, United States, and even New York, where I'm speaking to you from. So welcome, everybody. This is the first class of a series of four classes, Be'ezer Hashem. Today is the first class. The second one will be Sunday morning, 8 a.m. The third one will be Sunday evening, 7 p.m. This is New York time. And then the last one, Be'ezer Hashem, will be Monday morning, once again, 8 o'clock a.m. And they will be streaming live during our regular link, through our regular links, and everybody is welcome to join. <clears throat> this series was initiated and is dedicated by the Pearson family in honor and loving memory of... <clears throat> an extraordinary Jew who, had the, who I had the privilege of knowing many years, Harav Reb David Ben Reb Yaakov Yosef Raskin, Reb David Raskin of blessed memory, whose 95th birthday will be on the 12th of Nisan, and his yard site is next month on the 7th of Ear, Zion Ear. This is dedicated by his grandchildren, the Pearson family, and especially his grandson, Ben-Sian Pearson, who initiated this project in memory of his beloved and special grandfather, Reb David Raskin, who was a true chassid, a true Yirei Shemayim, a true God-fearing Jew, a very dedicated person. He was, for many, many years, the Menahel Ruchni, uh, the dean of uh, the central Lubavitch Yeshiva, Temchetim Lubavitch, the director of Tziri Agudas Chabad, Lubavitch Youth Organization, and... Uh, <coughs> a member of Ad Agudas Chassidei Chabad, which is the central committee umbrella organization of Chabad Chassidim all over the world, and uh, a person who personified many of the ideas, many of the experiences that we're going to learn in this class. So, may his light and his presence, his soul, continue to be a source of inspiration to many of us, to all of us, and especially a source of blessing, bracha betoiv hanirev hanigla, to all of his children and his grandchildren, his entire family, for everything that they need materially and spiritually in a revealed way. And <coughs> thank you, thank you so, so very much for this uh, sponsorship and dedication and initiation. So next week, next week, Tuesday, is Yud Aleph Nissen, the 11th day of Nissen which is the birthday of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This year commemorates the 120th birthday of the Rebbe of blessed memory. Lubavitcher Rebbe was born, Yud Aleph Nissen, Tofresh Samach Beis, the 11th of Nissen, 1902. We're in a country that is very, very famous today. It's called Ukraine. 
in the city Nikolaev. That's where the Rebbe was born to his parents, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, and his mother, Rebbe Tzenchana. Later, his father was appointed as chief rabbi of Dnepropetrovsk in Ukraine. Then it was called Yekaterinoslav because it was still before the Bolshevik Revolution, before the communists took over. So it was called Yekaterinoslav, which is named after Catherine the Great. But then after the Bolsheviks took over, all the names had to change. Of course, Petersburg, Peter the Great, had to become Leningrad. And Yekaterinoslav went through the same fate and it became Dnepropetrovsk at the coast of the Dnieper, close to the Dnieper River. And um, that's where the Lubavitcher Rebbe grew up. So Yudalif Nissen, Tovshin Peibes, if he was born 1902, 2022, marks 120th anniversary of his birthday. I was just uh, in Florida. There was a big event in honor commemorating the Rebbe's birthday. Uh, when was it? Wednesday night. So many thousands of Jews. It was a beautiful event in South Florida. And I spoke there. I think some of you uh, were there or tuned in online. And on the way back on the plane... So I was sitting near somebody. I wasn't sure he's Jewish or not. But then I heard him express himself on the phone with a Hebrew word. So we got into a conversation, stuck up a conversation. And uh, he asked me now what he's doing in Florida. So I said, I came to speak at an event in honor of the of the Rebbe's birthday. He said, Yeral of Nissen, 11th of Nissen. I said, yeah. He says, how do I know? He said, it's my birthday too. I was also born the 11th of Nisan. And I was told as a child, as a very secular Jew, I was told as a secular Israeli, I was told as a child, it's a very special birthday. Of course, it's also a few days before the birthday of Klal Yisrael, the birthday of the Jewish people. So it's all of our birthdays this season, because as the Navi Yecheskel says in chapter 16, all of the Jewish people were born by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. It's the Yom HaLedes, it's the birthday of Klal Yisrael collectively and individually because we became a people. We were slaves. Lakachas goy mikerev goy. The Rebbeinu Shloim Hashem extracted one nation from among another nation. He took slaves and he turned them into an independent, free nation under the direct tutelage and leadership of Hashem. So it's really the birthday of the Yudal. So this is the season of the birthday of the Jewish people. Now, the the only time we find in Chumash the celebration of a birthday is Parai. Parai made a birthday party at the end of Parshish Miketz, right? That's when he emancipated the butler and he executed the baker. The Yerushalmi, however, Talmud Yerushalmi, Meseches Rosh Hashanah says that the, Amalek, the Amalekites had a custom that they would send to the front lines of a battlefield a person who had a birthday that day because they said he won't be defeated easily because Mazalei Goiver, his mazal is very powerful. And this is a basis of the power, of the energy of a birthday, that a person's contribution, a person's life, the gift of birth, the gift of existence, is repeated once again. It's the day that God decided to send down your neshama to the world. And Reb Tzadik HaKoyen of Lublin, the great Hasidic master, passed away in 1900 in Lublin in Poland, in a sefer, Divrei Chaloyim, is one of his fascinating works, emphasizes this, that the Yom HaLed is the birthday, is a day of celebration, because the person's mazel, the person's spiritual energy, is very powerful that day. The Ben Ishchai, the great rabbi of Baghdad, Rabbi Yosef Chaim, also passed away in the early 1900s, also writes, therefore, that a birthday is to be celebrated, even though others had different opinions. In the Hasidic world, the Baal Shem Tev, who was born on the 18th of Elul, celebrated his birthday, even though it was clandestine, as well as the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya. Now, in terms of the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, on his 50th birthday, which was a year after he became a Rebbe, 1952, he set a mimer in his room on the capital Tehillim, um, but he wouldn't hold any public uh, events on his birthday. 
when he became 60, which was 1962, he held a Fabrengen in honor of the Gemara discusses the celebration of reaching the age of 60. Um, it's a whole discussion. I made it in a famous seal. What we're going to learn today is a, a, a historic and incredibly profound and life-changing maimer, a Hasidic a discourse that was presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The date is Yud Aleph Nisan Tovshin Lamed Aleph. That's the 11th of Nisan, 1971. And uh, that's the birthday the Rebbe became 69, his big, the beginning of the 70th year. And so, so it's 1952, he said a Maimer, in 1962 when he became 60, and then 1971, nine years later, he went that day to pray at the resting place of his father-in-law, the previous, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, of blessed memory, who passed away in 1950, Yud And when the Rebbe came, nobody expected there would be any gathering, but when the Rebbe came back from the resting place of his father, it was Tuesday, Yud Aleph Nisan, Tav Shalom Aleph, the resting place of his father-in-law, David Mincha, and then notified there's going to be a Fabreng. He notified there's going to be a Fabreng, and he David Mincha, and he came down to Fabreng. It was a great, great surprise. And the Rebbe began right away with this Mimer. And the Mimer opens up with a Pasuk from Parshish Nasai. There's a custom in many communities that during the first 12 days of the month of Nisan, we say every day the Nasi, which means the Mishkan was inaugurated, the tabernacle was inaugurated on the first day of Nisan. And for the next 12 days, those first 12 days of Nisan, every day one leader of one Shevet brought a special offering, a contribution for the new Mishkan, for the new tabernacle. It happens to be each leader brought exactly the same thing and the Torah repeats again and again 12 times what each leader brought, 11 times what each leader brought. It was 11 Nesim that brought, because Levi was a different category. It was the, the tribe of Aaron. So, so there's a custom by many that every day of Nisan we read the offering of that leader, of that Nasi, what he brought that day, which is really a repetition. And the 11th day of Nisan is Usher. It was the gift of the leader of Usher. And that Pasuk is the, the Pasuk that the Rebbe began that Mimer with. Known as Biyoyim Ashtay Usher Tav Aleph. The Mimer of the 11th day of Tav Aleph 1971. <laughs> It was a uh, extremely, extremely profound, profound discourse. And I would describe it as a mimer that really captures what is the Jew? Who is this creature, this creation we call the Jew? The ultimate Jew, the ultimate quest of Judaism. What the Jew personifies individually and, and collectively, as we will see. Truly understanding and appreciating what is a Jew. What is Ayid? the Jew's choices, the Jew's relationship with Hashem, the Jew in all of his or her manifestations. What is this ultimate Jew? And as we will see, the ultimate core is going to be going beyond spiritual self-centeredness. I want only you. I want nothing but the truth. As this mimer will develop in great nuance and profound intricacy. There is a build-up here. It's, uh, it gets a little complex, it gets detailed, it gets intricate. We'll try to explain with the best of our ability, but, the be- but the, I'll try to explain to the best of my ability, Be'ezir Hashem. <laughs> the next year was Tavshin Lamed Be'ez, 1972. That's when the Lubavitcher Rebbe turned 70. Then he made a Fabrengen. Again, he said a Maimer, the same, same beginning, even though it was a different theme. And from then, he would hold a public Fabrengen every year on his birthday, Yud Aleph Nissen. 
for the remaining years. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's begin. Let's go right into it. And uh, please open your source sheets. If you're joining us on Zoom, I put into the chat the source sheet so you can uh, you can open it up and follow inside. If you're on theyeshiva.net, you have the source sheet there. And I think the other places as well have the source sheet. Chabad.org has the source sheet so you can get it over there and open it up. And please, let me tell you about this source sheet. It's a long source sheet. It has 121 pages, but we're not going to be reading 121 pages. We have here the whole Mimer translated in, in a beautiful English. So those of you who struggle with Hebrew, you have here the whole thing in English, word-for-word translation, like Art Scroll style, and you could follow that in English. I'm going to use the text in Hebrew and translate. So if you open up your source sheets and you go to page 3, of the source sheets, we begin. But if you continue scrolling down, you'll see after a few pages, you have the whole thing in English. Beginning from page 21 in your source sheets, you have the entire discourse with Hebrew and English translation all the way till the end. So that may be very useful and certainly useful for re- to review. Says the Maimir Yudalif Nissen Tovshalamad Alif. I should say that the Rebbe said it in 71 and then he edited it. It was prepared by the writers and then the Rebbe edited it in 1989, Tovshin Mem Tes. This was his 87th birthday. Beginning 88, the Rebbe edited this Maimir and that's when it was published. And that I remember. 71 is uh, a little before my days, but 89 when it came out, I still remember the joy and the festivity and the ecstasy that gripped so many of us upon learning these powerful gems, giving us very profound insight into Yiddishkeit, into Torah, into mitzvahs, into our relationship with Hashem, and into the ultimate calling of a Jew, and especially in the days before Pesach, when we became a, Jew, when we became a nation, when we became a people. What is this unique people called the Jewish people? On the 11th day of the month of Nisan, Nasi Livnei Asher was the t- time that the leader of the tribe of Asher offered his contribution. It says in Medrash, Medrash Rabbah Parshas Nasi. You see, there's something strange about this portion in Torah. Why? Usually the Torah is written in a very brief and concise fashion. Here, the Torah, for some reason, goes into such detail which seems superfluous and unnecessary because the Torah repeats, as I said, 11 times exactly the same words for each one of the leaders. And it doesn't seem necessary. The Torah could have just said, the first leader, Nachshon, who brought for Yehud, and then everybody did the same thing. Why do we have to repeat the same karbonas again and again when they were all doing exactly the same thing? So the Medrash explains that every one of the leaders had a different kavan, he had a different meditation, a different mindset. In other words, externally it looked like they brought exactly the same types of animals and the same type of uh, same types of cutlery and utensils for the Mishkan. That was external. But internally, each one of them gave the gift with a different mindset, with a different intention. And therefore the Torah repeats it. It's a fascinating idea. And the Medrash goes through each tribe showing the different kavana that they had, including Usher. Usher is a very long one. All of them are very long. It's one of the longest Madrashim you have. Going through the whole, every single carbon had a different kavana. What about Usher? So this is what we're going to learn. Of Isab and Medrash, so the Medrash says, Kol hashvatim l'shem gulas l'shem shvacha nikru 
all the tribes, all the children of Yaakov, their names represent the redemption of the Jewish people and the praise of the Jewish people. Including Usher. Usher, Nikr, Shmuel, Shem, Gulas, and Yisrael. Usher, also his name is connected to the redemption of the Jewish people. Like the Pasuk says, the Navi says, in Malachi, the last one of the prophets, the last one is Malachi, and he describes the time of Geula, the redemption. He says, All of the nations of the world will acknowledge you, will praise you, will extol you, because you will become Eretz Chefetz, a land full of desire, a desired land, says Hashem. So the word Asher, which comes from the word Ashrei, fortune, or La'asher, to acknowledge, to praise, to extol, to elevate, represents the time of Geula when the true nature of the Jew will emerge in its full glory and the whole world will acknowledge it. And the name also represents the praise of the Jewish people, like it says in Tehillim, and we say it every day, This is Tehillim 144. Fortunate is the nation that this is his fate. Fortunate is the nation that Hashem is his God. Eini Shuron Shal Yisrael says the Medrash, the great praise of the Jewish people, the great fortune of the Jewish people is Ella Al Shabacharu Bakadish Baruch Uliyus Lam Lalekim, Bakadish Baruch Bacham Amleyus Lailam Zgula. The true greatness of the Jewish people, you could say the Jewish people are great. Why? Because, I don't know, they're smart, they're ambitious, they're creative. <laughs> They have good families. Many of them have good families. They're successful. They made a lot of good contributions to society. They survived through thick and thin. They're stubborn. They're tenacious. They're strong. They know how to persevere. Those are all good stuff. But the Medrash here says, you want to know what the real praise of the Jewish people? The Asher, Asher comes from the word Asher, the, the fortune, the praise of the Jewish people is one thing, that they chose Hashem. They chose Hashem to be their God. And Hashem chose them to be His unique people. Says the Medrash, this is all a quote from the Medrash Rab. So when the leader, the leader, the prince of the tribe of Asher came to offer his contribution, he offered his offering to commemorate the choice that Hashem chose the Jewish people from all the nations, as the Pasuk says, in uh, Parshas, where is it? In, in, in Dvarim. Hashem tells, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem. You see footnote 6, Parshas Re'eh. Hashem chose you to be his special treasured nation. And the Medrash goes on to explain how every detail of the offering of Asher is connected to this point, connected to the choice that the Jewish people made in Hashem. Because this is the praise of the Jewish people that they chose Hashem and that Hashem chose them. And he literally goes through. It all represents the various nations of the world who appreciate the destiny and the uniqueness and the gift of the Jewish people. And they all become ultimately connected to the Jewish people and inspired by the Jewish people. It's a fascinating medrash. And he goes through how the choice of the Jewish people in God and God's choice in them. And every offering of Asher represents this point. 
And this medrash becomes the foundation of this discourse of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, on the 11th day of Nisan, when Usher brought his tribe, which is Yud Aleph Nisan, later, so many years later, the day that the Rebbe was born. There's something amiss in this medrash. The betchila saying in I'm a dishur and shall you stalu shabachru b'kadosh baruch hu v'zeshem mamshul shakadosh baruch hu b'chabem ulacherik me'davar neisef ulacher is a imer the asher al shem ishur and shall you stalu hikriv karbani al shem abchirat shabachru b'kadosh baruch hu b'yisrael. If you read the medrash, when the Rebbe learned the medrash, he learned it like you learn a piece of Gemara. In other words, every word is precise; it's meticulous. Sometimes people read medrashim, you know, they think it's just. Some charming insights. Every piece of Torah has profound structure and meaning. So he says there's something in the structure that seems strange. In the beginning, the Medrash says that Ashrei, Asher comes from the word Ashrei. Ashrei am shekachaloi, Ashrei am shashem Fortunate is the nation, shekachaloi, that this is his fate. What is it? Shehashem that this is the people that chose Hashem as his God. The only real authentic praise for the Jewish people is that they chose God. And the Medrash adds as something else, and God chose them, right? In other words, sometimes we call the Jewish people the chosen people. And the Medrash is saying it's not only the chosen people, it's the choosing people. It's the people that chose. It's the people that chose God. And in response, God chooses them. That's the beginning of the Medrash. But later, when the Medrash summarizes and culminates the point, the Medrash says, when Usher came to offer his contribution, he offered it because of the choice of Hashem in the Jewish people. What's the focus here? First, he begins that the praise of the Jewish people is that they chose Hashem. At the end of it, he says that Usher, which is the praise of the Jewish people, offered it because Hashem chose the Jewish people. Suddenly, the focus shifts. But we have to also understand something more fundamental, not just in the structure of the Medrash, but the very concept. The word choice is applicable when you have two things that are similar, or even if they're not similar, each one has an advantage that the other one doesn't have. So then you can choose. This is really going back to the basics. When you're talking about Hashem versus pagan gods, pagan false deities, how do you even use the word Pchira, that the Jewish people chose God over these other gods? Uh, Let me give a very simple example. When you say choice, you have to choose between two things. You need to have two things to choose from. <laughs> if I only have one thing, this is the only option. There's no choice. Right? In the olden stores, when you came in to, a, to buy pants, there was only one pair of pants. So there's no choice. Either you want it or you don't want it. If you want it, this is it. Today, you have diversity. You want pants, and there's so many different types. You want shoes, there's so many different types, so many different types of shirts, so many different types of companies and designs and labels, etc. Now you have to choose. A person wants to buy a house, right? So there may be two houses, Two houses on the same block or two houses in the same neighborhood or two houses in the same city. So now you have to choose between this house and this house, right? But what happens if there's only one house? There's only one house tub available. Now, so somebody will say, oh, you could choose between the house or you can also buy a car. I also sell cars. I don't need a car. I have a car. I need a house. There's only one house. So there's no choice. Choice means... You have two things that are similar, and now I have to choose between this dish in the restaurant or this dish in the restaurant, between this car or this car, this computer or that computer, this phone or that phone, right? You're choosing a relationship, right? There's two people. <laughs> you can go, people can go out with different people, right? Each one has certain mindless advantages. Now you have to choose which one. I understand. 
But when something is completely not in the same league, not in the same realm, it's almost embarrassing to say, by the way, I, cho- <laughs> I chose you over what? Over something that's completely, completely not in the same realm. So Pchira means things that are similar to each other. Or even if they're not similar, but each one has something unique, something special. So you say, do you want to live in New York? Or do you want to live in Miami? <laughs> there's Milas in New York. I know some people don't think that. And there's Milas in Miami. Do you want to live here? Do you want to live? I understand it's a different category and there's pros and cons and everything. Pros. You have two jobs. They're both interesting jobs. This has pros and this has pros. So now you have to choose. But if you have one thing, one a job that's going to pay you, and a job that's going to oppress you, what's the choice if you're a normal person? So the Rebbe asks a fundamental question. We're praising the Jewish people that they chose God. What exactly was the choice from? What what were the options? The options was to choose what? To choose a fake deity. Is that really called a choice? Now, you might say, well, paganism was a major thing in the world. They had to choose it. But the Medrash really describes the word pchirah. Pchiru actually means you're making a choice between two things. Is it really a choice? I mean, once you know the reality, there's no choice here. Conversely, the Medrash says, Hashem chose the Jewish people. What does it really mean Hashem chose the Jewish people? The Jewish soul is a completely different type of soul than any other soul. Every creature has its unique identity, its unique soul. The Jewish soul, it's called a chelik, kelikami, mal mamach. It's a different thing. So what do you mean you chose the Jews from other people? It's not the same thing. Again, lahavdal, if I'm buying two houses, if I want to buy a house, there's two houses, I choose one house from another house. Somebody will tell me, here you can buy the house and here's an apple. <laughs> so I choose the house over the apple. I don't want an apple. I ate apples already. I want a house, there's only one house. What do you mean Hashem chose the Jewish people from the nations of the world? If He wants the soul of the Jewish people, there's only one such type of soul. There's nothing to choose from. If you want a house, this is the only house available. I'm sorry. If you're not looking for the Jewish soul, fine. But if you're looking for the Jewish soul, it's not a choice. It's not two things that are equal, and now you have to choose. So what do you mean God chose the Jew? If you want this, you want this. It's not a choice. So you might say, ooh, the answer is, maybe he didn't choose the soul. It says in Tanya, chapter 80, 40, chapter 49, that when we say, it's referring to the body, to the bodies of the nations of the world. Ah, maybe that's, explanation, because that is a choice. The soul of the Jew is initially of a different category. It's just, it is what it is. Every person has a soul. A Jew has a soul. A non-Jew has a soul. In fact, every creature has a soul. Every existence has a soul. That Rizal writes that even rocks, even inanimate matter is, compro- is made as a soul. Today in science we know that within the smallest physical matter, even though it looks lifeless, it's completely alive. There's a dynamic universe and a very, very active atomic structure that is ha- that is comprises all matter. And there's this constant movement and motion incredibly swiftly with the nucleus of the atom. You have the electrons evolving the nucleus of the atom, which allows matter to exist. So this only explains to us a little bit better what Darizal says, that everything has a soul. But the question is, what type of soul? You can't compare the soul of an animal, 
to the soul of a human being, a human being, a Jew or non-Jew, is B'Tselem Elikim, is in the image of God, like it says in Pirkei Avos. Chaviv Adam Shenivri B'Tselem. Every human being, every person, is cherished, is beloved, because he or she was carved in the visage of God. Which is why human life is sacred, is special. But the Jewish soul is a different type of soul. So if you want that type of soul, there's nothing to choose from. So you might say the choice is the body, the goof, because this, the body is also sacred. The body keeps the divine score, as we often discuss in our classes. The body is sacred. It says in Zoyar, goof of the Lohan Kadisha. The goof is sacred. Judaism doesn't ultimately acknowledge that there is this essential split between the soul and the body. There was once a Fabring, and just parenthetically, but it's a very important idea. Purim Tov Shalom Hey, Purim 1975. So the Rebbe that's dedicated to then to explain the Gemara in Megillah, and Simcha is Yomtev, and Sosin is Mila, circumcision, and Yikar is Tfilin. And he explains why Chazal connected these words to, to this explanation. But one of the points he made then was, that there are religions, there are ideas that believe that there is an essential duality between the body and the soul. The soul is lofty, sublime, holy, sacred. The body, eh, the body ultimately should be disgraced. The body is, is negative. The body should be scorned. It's just brute materialism. And that's a philosophy that has taken root in, in many cultures. And even within Judaism, you have certain streams that emphasize that. But the Rebbe said in the ultimate, that's, that's more of a, there's a truth to it, but it's a superficial truth. There's a much deeper truth. And the truth is, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. And what it means Hashem is one is, that the oneness permeates the physical and the spiritual, the soul and the body. And as he said, the soul expresses Hashem's oneness through spirituality, and the body expresses Hashem's oneness through physicality. So we look at the body in a completely different way. And here the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya that Hashem chose the body. So maybe this answers the question. Because the body indeed is similar. Tzarech Bir, this still needs explanation. The Alter Rebbe's, the Balatanya's words are, the body is nidme. It appears similar to the bodies of the nations of the world. Appears, but it's not. For Hashem, appearance is not deceptive. For people, appearance can be deceptive. So you could say, ah, you chose this over this because they look the same. But for Hashem, appearances don't matter. They may matter, but they're not a determining factor. So if he knows that the body is a different quality, it's a different caliber, because today we know that the genes that make up a body are completely connected to the personality of the person, especially in epigenetics. So if the body of the Jewish people is really a different type of body because of the genes and the body is a reflection of the soul, etc. So what's the choice? If you want this, so you have this. It's not a choice. It's not similar. The fact that it's similar externally doesn't answer by Hashem. So therefore, we're left here at the end of this paragraph with two big questions. Or three big questions. First of all, the structure of the Medrash seems strange. First you emphasize that the praise of the Jewish people is that they chose God. But then you say the praise of the Jewish people is that God chose them. Which one is it? The second thing is, what does it even mean that the Jewish people choose Hashem? Sounding like almost there were real options and we have to choose one from the other when the whole world, the word choice seems insulting and ridiculous. And also what does it mean? Hashem chose the Jewish people. If you're looking for a Jewish soul and a Jewish body, there's no choice. If you're not looking for it, so then don't choose it. Second paragraph, base. 
Yuv and Zebahak de Mashakasov, Chelki Hashem Amra Nafshi. All of this will be understood by introducing one of those very incredibly powerful psukim in the book of Eicha. Eicha is the book of Lamentations. We read it on Tisha B'av. It was written by Yirmiya Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet. And it, of course, describes the horrific destruction of Yerushalayim and of the Beis HaMikdash, the first Beis HaMikdash, during the milieu, during the era of Yirmiya Hanavi by the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, the monarch of Babylonia and the Babylonian Empire. And at the end of chapter 3, Yirmiya Hanavi expresses himself and he says, Chelki Hashem Amra Nafshi Alkein Eichelai. My soul declares, Hashem is mine. Hashem is my chelik. Hashem is my lot, my part. Like we say, Ashreinu Matoiv Kalkein. Amra Nafshi, my soul says, God is my lot, my chelik. Therefore, Alkein Eichelai, therefore I wait for him, I anticipate him. Ve'isa Medrash. on this verse of Eicha, there's an incredible medrash. Rebavo, I think, who quotes Rabbi Yochanan. And this is a medrash known as Medrash Rabbah on Eicha on the verse. And here's the medrash. There's a metaphor, a parable of a king who went into the country. He entered into the grand country. And he had a very impressive entourage. Duchsin. Duchsin are dukes. Ifrichin. Ifrichin are governors. Ve'istratilutin are military commanders. And the Medrash continues, And the great people of the country, the locals, were sitting there in the middle of the country as the king entered with this impressive entourage. And we have her three, three uh, types of people that the king came with. Duchsin are dukes, Ifrichin are Moshele uh, Mechayz's governors of, of different regions, and Istratilutin are military great generals and commanders. So the Medrash says a conversation emerges. Chad Omar, one of the people in the country, one of the great people in the country says, Ano Nasiv Duchsin Legabi. I'm going to choose a relationship with the dukes. I'm going to choose the dukes, one of the dukes, for my, to be my patron, to be my protector. Chadama, the other one said, nah, I'm going to choose one of the governors, Legabi, for me, to be my patron. The third one said, Ay, what are you guys going to choose? The dukes? You're going to choose the, the governors? You got to go to the army. <laughs> they got the power. You got to go to Israelitilutin. These are the military commanders, the military generals. You know, they, they, they have the power. If I need a relationship, I am going to cultivate a relationship with the military commander. This is a conversation the Medrash is describing as a parable. There was also one man who was wise. He was a pikech. Pikech means... A, a, a perceptive, wise, deep, profound soul. Omar, he said, Malka. I am going to choose the king. The word Nasiv means I'm going to take, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose the king. Why? Because all of them are exchangeable. All of them are replaceable. The king is not replaceable. 
What's the parable? Says the Medrash, Same is true throughout history, various nations of the world, there were those who worshipped the sun, there were those who worshipped the moon, and the Medrash continues, and there were those who worshipped wood, and there were those who worshipped statues and rocks. The Jewish people chose to serve Hashem. This is the meaning of the words of Yirmiya, Jeremiah the prophet. My soul says, my my patron is God. This is how Rabbi Yochanan explains the words of Yirmiya Anavi. My soul says, I want the king. I'm choosing the king. And that's why, parenthetically, this mimer, this discourse of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Yud Aleph Nisan Tavshin Lamed Aleph, came to be known by Hasidim. If you just say three words, everybody knows what you're talking about. This is part of the Chabad lexicon. Ano Nosev Malka. Ano Nosev Malka is a medrash in Eicha. When you say Anonos, everybody knows what are you referring to? You're referring to this Mimer. Because this is the Mimer where the Rebbe dedicated the whole Mimer to explain to us, to, to bring out, to accentuate, to suck the marrow out of these three words. Anonos of Malk. I'm taking the king. Now let's understand the story. Whenever the Medrash tells a story, it's to bring out a point. Without the story, without the parable, we learned last week in the Derech Mitzvah Secha Maimah, right? Shloim HaMelech had 3,000 parables. Reb Meir, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, says had 300 parables. A parable, an analogy, a, a mushal, a metaphor, an allegory is there to bring out the point. What's the point the Medrash is trying to bring out? The king comes in with an entourage. Now there's an argument, right? So Shmedel says, I'm no Shmedel. One person's not Shmedel, Shmedel is Ayid. Well, one person says, I want the duke. I'm choosing the duke. The other guy says, I'm choosing the governor, I'm choosing the military commander. And then the pikech, there's one smart guy, he says, oh, chavre. they're all, they're all exchangeable. They're all, you know, they're all, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. Not tomorrow, after tomorrow. Not after tomorrow, next year, next decade. I'm staying with the king. This is what a Jew is. This is what Yirmiya says, Chelki Hashem Amre Nafshi. And you have to understand when Yirmiya said this. Yirmiya didn't say this during easy times. Yirmiya said this, as the flames were consuming the spiritual epicenter of the world and the epicenter of the Jewish people. It didn't look like there's going to be a future. And I say this because this is important to understand the whole continuation of the discussion. Asks the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The question is well known. This is a question that's been raised among the Hasidic masters of previous generations as he puts, puts out, as he points out in footnote number 12, there's a mimer from the Tzemach Tzedek, the grandson of the Balatanya about this. There's a mimer from his son, the Rebbe Maharash of Shmuel about this, and other discourses. Here's the question. The Rebbe says, one second. If you're reading a children's book, a child's book to your child, and the king comes in with a whole entourage, and you ask your child... If you have to develop a relationship with, who should you go to? What would the child say? 
you have to be a pikich. You have to be a brilliant, brilliant mind, a really profound person. He says, I feel a tinnik cotton. It's a beautiful expression. Even a baby knows that the king is greater than everybody else. I mean, they're all under the king. They're all appointed by the king. They all work for the king. They're his employees. You should have to be like really, really wise. And the, and the Medrash is saying, this is the uniqueness of Yirmiya Novi and of the Jewish people. Another question. question, a second question. The pikech, the wise man, the pikech says, you know why I'm choosing the king? Because nobody is firing him tomorrow. The duke may be fired. The millet, the governor, may be fired. The military commander, he may be demoted. The king, he has a secure position. Let's say the king gives the governor tenure, life, life tenure. Let's say. The reasoning seems off. The reason is because the king is not being fired. Let's say the duke is there for life. He's not being fired. Everybody still understands that the king is greater. Why do you need this reason? So first of all, why do you need a pikech? What's the brilliance? And second of all, the reason seems strange. And he adds a parenthesis. There's a very famous explanation. From the Tzemach Tzedek, it says about Shaul HaMelech, the first king of Israel in Shmuel Aleph, that from his shoulder and up, he was higher, taller than the whole nation. What does it mean? It does not just talking about physical stature. It's talking about spiritual stature. A true king, a true, we're talking about a true king, a true, true spiritual leader appointed by God. Even his shoulder is higher than the tallest part, than the head of the people. The shoulder represents the beginning of midos, of the emotions that come from the brain in the head. So even the midos of the king are higher than the seichel, than the cognitive elements of the entire nation, including the greatest ministers. So how do you compare them to the king? We're talking here about a real melech, a true king. What makes him a king is something unique about him. So the only reason I'm going to choose him is because he'll be here tomorrow in the job as well. Gimel. So this is the Medrash, the first chapter discussed the Medrash, the first ois, the first chapter discussed the Medrash about Asher. Now we discuss the Medrash about Chelki, Hashem, Amra, Navshi, the dukes, the governors, the military commanders versus the Anonas of Malka with the questions. And now we begin Siv Gimel. Perhaps all of this can be explained based on a premise. And this premise is going to be based on the famous Rambam in the beginning of the laws of idolatry, Hilchis Avodah And I'm going to tell you what the Rambam says in Hilchis Avodah It's a fascinating, the first chapter of Rambam, it's a chapter of history, the laws of idolatry. And explained at length in Derech Mitzvah by the Tzamech Tzedek in the beginning, as he puts, puts as he points out in footnote 17. The Rambam asks a question. How did idolatry develop throughout history? What happened? How did Avodah happen? And the Rambam says something very interesting. It started actually in a very benign way. He says in the early generations, people said, you know, God has all these intermediary forces that run the world. They should be honored. They should be given dignity. 
the stars, the galaxies, the planets, the sun, the moon, the winds, the clouds, <laughs> lightning, rain. These are all, this is what allows life on the planet to be sustained. God chose all of these entities to run the universe, to run the cosmos. All of them deserve respect. In fact, it's part of respecting Hashem. Part of respecting Hashem is you respect those who work for Him. You respect His employees. You respect the instruments He uses. You respect all those creatures that He uses. Especially the Rambam says in Hilchis Yisraeli Atayra that the, the heavenly creatures have consciousness. He says that all of them have day of Ahaskel. They have very deep perception. We say Shabbos and Adoin Olam. What do we say? Um... The luminaries that Hashem created, He created with das, with perception, with understanding, with awareness. Now it doesn't mean He created them with His own awareness, with His own understanding. He created everything with His das. So this is what the Ramam is saying, that they have das. So this idea was that they have to be respected because this is part of Hashem's respect. After the generations continued, there was already a new idea that God actually wants us to show respect, and God wants us to worship them and show appreciation to them. And by that appreciation, we're going to get much more. And then it evolved ultimately that they were responsible for everything and God was forgotten and paganism took over. This is what the Ramam describes. So the Rebbe here summarizes this evolution of idolatry. In the early generations, those who worshipped, Stars, constellations, other forces of nature, polytheism. Yadu they knew Shah Shefash and Ishba Baaritz Idechavam Mazalis, Mimegatwus Shemesh and Megat Garashirachim Uloishahim Atzma Mashbi, Elashakadish Barakumashbi Al Yadam. Elashatov Khashbu Shah Shefash and Ishba Menuis Barakhaidekavam Mazalis who bibhirasam. Villa Yadu as ha emes, Shain Lem Khirakal, Vehim Nak Kigarza Biada Khitsev. I'll explain in a moment. Let me explain. The Gemara says in Babakama, Daf Tzadik Beis. It's a very interesting Gemara. Rava asked Rabbi Barmari, what's the source for different slangs of people? One of them is, the wine belongs to the owner, but the thank you belongs to the waiter, to the one who comes, to the butler, to the one who pours the wine. He doesn't own the wine, but he's a waiter. You say thank you. Yeah, you don't go to the kitchen and you look for the owner and say, hey, thank you for the wine, unless he's your friend or he comes out for a visit to see you. To see you. But who do you say thank you to? If you're sitting at a restaurant, you order a cup of wine. The waiter doesn't own the wine. It's not his wine. He's hired. He's just delivering the wine. But he brings the wine. He makes a presentation. He's dressed beautifully. He pours the wine into your glass. So you say, thank you. Thank you so much. Right? Makes sense. And the Gemara there brings a proof from the Torah for this, that this is the right way. With Moshe and Yeshua, you can look up the Gemara, Baba Kama 92. So the Rebbe says as follows. In the early generations, the people who worshipped forces of nature, they knew that the flow that comes into our world through all of the forces of nature, whether it's the sun, whether it's the moon, whether it's the planets, whether it's the galaxies, whether it's all the dynamics within the universe and within the planet, it's not independent. 
Hashem is sending the flow through them. But they thought that all of these creatures, all of these entities are choosing to do the job. And if they're too choosing to do the job, you say thank you. Why don't I thank a waiter? It's not his food. It's not his wine. Why should I thank him? I'm thanking him because he could have taken another job. <laughs> Maybe an easier job. Right? He's standing here on his feet all day in this restaurant. He's serving me. So what do you do? You say, thank you. Thank you doesn't mean you're the boss. Thank you doesn't mean you're the owner. Thank you doesn't mean you can fire the owner. Thank you doesn't mean you're going to be here tomorrow. Thank you means you chose to do this. I'm benefiting through your choices. I say, thank you. That was the beginning of Avodah Zarah. That's what the Tzamech Tzadik is. The beginning of Avodah Zarah is that what? These creatures chose on some level to do this work. So you say, thank you. What was the mistake? They didn't know the truth. They don't have choice. They're like an axe in the hand of the chopper. The Novi Yeshaya calls it Kegarzen Biyad HaChoytzev. Yeshaya chapter 10. Isaiah 10. Like Garzen is an axe, Biyad HaChoytzev, in the hand of the chopper. Do you say thank you to the axe? They thought that if the waiter, these are all waiters, you choose. And if they chose, like the waiter, you say thank you. Vagam also something else. There's something else. What happens when you're nice to the waiter? What happens when you're nice to the waiter? He's going to bring it out faster. <laughs> right? And maybe he'll fill up the cup a little more. When you're nice to the waiter, you gain. So they thought, since the stars and since the constellations have choice, so if you worship them, you thank them, you offer them offerings, you show gratitude, you'll get more. So there's two mistakes. Number one, they have a choice, so you say thank you. Right? You say thank you. Somebody did something for you, you say thank you. Number two, the thank you is also very beneficial. If the waiter likes you, you know, if you're in a hotel for a week and you have a waiter and you're nice to your waiter and you give a nice tip to your waiter, what happens? He's going to go to the kitchen. He's going to be first online. You're going to get your food first. You're going to get your wine first. You're going to get your spear ribs first. You're going to get all of your delicious desserts first. If you don't tip the waiter, you'll get it an hour later. (laughs) Tip the waiter, right? So the Rebbe says this was their mindset. Their mindset was God chose all of these waiters. They're doing amazing work. We should thank them. And if we thank them, we'll also get the job done. This was their perception. Now it evolved. They came to a greater error. Now comes mistake number two. At some point, Hashem abandoned the earth. The stars run the show. The constellations run the show. The planets run the show. The various forces of nature run the show. They are the ones who run the world. God is, is, is even if he exists, but he's removed. It's like a regular government. Melech, a king, you can't have a president of a country or a king of a country doing everything. He appoints a government, and the government includes ministers, and the minister appoints others, and they run the show. Ah, you'll say the king could fire all of them. The king appointed them. That's true. But he doesn't mix in. <laughs> he's out of it. Maybe if there's a unique, urgent situation, he's going to mix in. But usually he's out of it. 
So this was the next stage. The next stage of Avodah was based on the fact that God is on vacation. God is not running our world. God is not running our planet. There's other forces that you have to appease, that you have to reach out to, to run the planet. So there's two stages, you understand? Stage number one is Hashem is the boss. And Hashem is running it. Hashem is running the restaurant. But he has waiters, and you have to thank them because they chose. Stage and, and also by thanking them and worshipping them, you'll get more. Stage number two is Hashem was removed from the picture completely. Yes, he's still the boss. He could fire them. But as long as, you know, you have people who start companies, they appoint capable people, and they're gone. <laughs> they come back once a year to pick up a check or maybe to sit at a board meeting. They don't mix in. And if you have a problem, you don't go to them. They're not going to answer you. This is too small for me. I'm busy with other things. I'm on vacation. I'm in southern France. Don't bother me. Who do you go to? You go to the people who were chosen to work as CEOs, CFOs, managers. These are the go to. So, of course, Avoida Zara makes sense. <laughs> now, we don't have today the issue with people worshiping stars or galaxies or planets or the clouds or the wind or the rain, <laughs> right? Or trees or cows or fish. Right, The Egyptians worshipped sheep and others worshipped holy cows, the Hindus, etc. We don't have that. But as we will see, the concept exists in every person's life. The question is, how much is Hashem connected to the details of life? So here we're explaining the evolution of how Avoid the Zara idolatry develops. V'yesh Laimar. The Gemara says at the end of Meseches Menachas, page 110, that the nations of the world, some of them called God, the God of gods, Eleka the Elekaya, that was their name. Hashem is the God over gods. He says this term includes two categories. Either the focus is he's the God of gods, or the focus is he's the God of gods. But it includes both. When Chazal tell us that God was called by many, the God of gods, it includes two different types of errors. Error number one, is those who felt Hashem gave over control. He may still be the God of gods, but ultimately the gods run the show. Why? First of all, he's the ultimate boss. He's still the God. He can fire them. He hired them. He's above them. He's the boss. And the fact that they can run the show is because he appointed them. Just like a president or just like an owner of a company or an investor who appoints somebody to run the show. So they can still call God the God of gods. We're gods, but he's the God over the gods. That's mistake number one. There's another mistake. It's much more subtle. 
They said, no, God runs the world, but he does it through the waiters, through his employees. He's still on the top. He's still running the show, but it's through them, and they choose. And that's why we have to thank them, and that's why we have to worship them, and that's why we want to be nice to them, and that's why we want to extol them, because it's appropriate to say thank you to the waiter, and also we're going to get more. They too call God the God of gods, because he's of course the God, but the fact is that they have a choice, and because they have a choice, they're also somewhat of a God. The Jewish people appreciated the pristine truth, What's the pristine truth? So this is the point we can make. Now we can appreciate the wisdom of the person who said, I am choosing the king. You remember the debate. The sun, the moon, the governor, the military commander, the duke. If so, we now may have an understanding, at least on one level of the Medrash. You do need wisdom. The Jewish people became aware of the truth that everything in the world outside of Hashem is kegarzen biyad hachaitzav. It's like an axe in the hand of a chopper. When you finish building a sukkah, somebody, somebody, somebody comes to build my sukkah, and he finishes building, what do I say? I say, thank you so much. For building my sukkah. He says, well, 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 wait. Don't thank me. Thank the hammer. Thank the hammer. Thank the nails. <laughs> thank the axe. Thank the drill. I never saw anybody going over to the drill and saying, thank you, drill. Thank you, hammer. Why not? Why not? Without the drill, there would be no sukkah. You know that. <laughs> Somebody finishes the house. Go thank the bricks. Go thank the instruments that were used to build the house. The answer is... They don't deserve a thank you. Not because we don't appreciate hammers and drills and instruments. We appreciate them very, very much. But because they really had no say in the matter. So thanking them is, they don't have a choice. You're talking about a lifeless hammer. You don't thank a lifeless hammer. You thank the chopper. You thank the one who employed the hammer to build your house. That, yeah. He had a choice. He has to get paid. He wants to get paid. The hammer, you don't thank him. And by thanking the hammer, you're not going to get better, you're not going to get better, uh, better uh, support. You're not going to be treated better. By thanking the hammer, the contractor is not going to finish the house faster. The Jewish people understood that every force in the world, every force, I'm not just talking about the sun and the moon and the stars and the winds and the clouds, every atom, every neuron, every cell, every person, it's Kegaizim Biyad HaChaitzav. Every force in the world is Kegaizim Biyad HaChaitzav. So all the instruments that Hashem uses, and He uses incredible instruments, because everything, the flow of Hashem is manifested. It flows through everything. But it flows through everything. Kegaizim Biyad HaChaitzav is just an expression of Hashem. There is absolute oneness in the universe. Everything is Ein Oid Mulvadi. It's an expression of Hashem. The light of the sun, the way Judaism looks at it, it's Hashem's light. 
But Hashem's light is not going to be able to do photosynthesis because it's infinite. So Hashem's light is filtered through the light of the sun. The rain, it's Hashem's, it's Hashem. It's Hashem's energy. But Hashem's energy is not going to make my crop grow or allow me to drink water. It's infinity. So Hashem is mitzamtzam. He condenses and He limits the energy that it flows and it, it assumes a physical incarnation of water. And the same is true with a cloud. And the same is true with a worm. What is a worm? You look at a worm. You know, worms are very important. There's nothing on our earth that doesn't contribute to the ecosystem, to the balance of the ecosystem, to the food chain, to the food web. It's unbelievable. People used to be a question why you need lightning. Today we know that without lightning, there's no way that the nitrogen will be able to synthesize, be synthesized with the oxygen, which is important for amino acids so that we can create new cells in our body. So everything is part of the divine flow of energy, the worm sits in the earth all day and it toils it toils but it plows the earth it makes the earth fertile to growth there's no such a thing a wasted worm everything is part of a singular unity and everything is essentially divine energy but in order to be able to affect the existence of a physical planet and a physical cosmos the divine energy assumes infinite different incarnations and expressions and manifestations, but it's all kegarizen beyond hachoytzev. It's all the hammer that he's using. And for this, you need to see the pnimius. You have to be able to perceive the inner core of the universe. When you look at the outside, it can look like there's many different entities and everything has a say. And as he says, everyone has their own personality and their own contribution and therefore they have to be the intermediaries. The Jewish people understand, no, there's no intermediary. It's all oneness. All mamish one is a direct, intimate relationship only with Hashem Echot. And this takes das. This takes awareness. This takes perception. To be able to look through the external facades and to be able to see the pnimius. There's no other balabas in the world. There's nobody else that calls the shots. It's not the waiter in the restaurant who can be in a bad mood and say, I'm not giving these scapegoats anything. It's not the manager in your company who's having a bad day and decides to fire you or decides to <laughs> make your life crazy. It's kegaizen beyadachaitsev. Obviously, Hashem is, 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 is giving you the money through this manager and through this company and you're building the house through this hammer and the wine is coming through this waiter. But it's not like the waiter and it's not like the contract and it's not like your father and mother who you have to respect because they indeed have choices and they brought you into the world. When you're talking about the big picture, is the concept that ultimately Hashem is not just running the world, but every detail, everything that comes through all the Mimutsayim, it's all from one direct, intimate source without any chatzitza, without any hefzik, without any, any interruption whatsoever. This was the perception of the Jew. This is perhaps what the Medrash means. That they all say, I want the Duke, I want the military commander, because look at this military commander, right? There's something special about him. <laughs> he has charisma, he has power. So you'll say, well, that's Avaidah Zara. Well, let's well, explain. No, the king hired him. The king hired him for a reason. He's a good guy. He's talented. He's a good waiter. Thank him. Worship him. And you're going to get better protection. The other one says, no, the duke, the governor. Everyone chooses their God to worship. We all worship something. Everybody worships something. (laughs) 
Everybody believes in something. The question is only what you believe in. Everybody is afraid of somebody. Everybody, people, I'm not afraid of anything. Really, really. We're all afraid of something. We're all afraid. I have to please somebody. There's somebody, right? Somebody who's paying the bills. Somebody Somebody I want to impress psychologically, financially. I need him psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, consciously, subconsciously. They say, look at these guys. I know the king appointed them. And even if the king is still running the show, he owns the restaurant. But these are the waiters. They're going to get the job done. You better be nice to them. You better worship them. The sun, the moon, the stars. I hear what they're saying. Says the Rebbe, there was a pikeach. There was a pikeach. He didn't look at the chitzainius, the pnimius. Obviously the military commander has talent and creativity. That's also Hashem. <laughs> that talent and creativity is also God. Physical creativity is also divine. I said before, we don't believe in a partition between heaven and earth, between soul and body. The governor and the military commander and the duke and nature, it's all a conduit for Hashem. And if it's and it's not that there's something there outside of Hashem. It's all one thing. The bread that you eat, the bread that you eat, it can't live without food. I can't live without. What is it? So what does Darizal say? It's also divine energy. Should I be nice to the bread? Well, bread is lifeless, right? So I don't think I should be nice to the bread. But what's the concept? Do I take the bread seriously? Of course. Without it, I can't live. It's divine energy that's manifested through bread. It's manifested through fruits, through vegetables, through legumes, through plants, through nutrients. The nutrients, the protein you're eating, it's divine energy. Narizal says this. The that we learned once, that we once learned before Pesach explains this at length. Everything is divine energy. So this is the perception of the pikeach. And therefore he says, I'm not going to the duke. I'm not going to the governor. I'm not going to the military commander. I'm going to the king. It seems like it's settled. But the Lubavitcher Rebbe says we have to go one step deeper. One step deeper. And we're going to learn here one more paragraph. Till Seif Hey. Amnam, however, Oh, by the way, that's why the Baal Shem Tov's father, when the Baal Shem Tov's father was on his deathbed, the Baal Shem Tov was five years old, and he called him over and he said, Yisraelik, two things I want to tell you before I leave this world. Number one, don't fear anybody or anything in the world outside of Hashem. Number two, love every Jew with every fiber of your being. His father passed away. His name was Eliezer. And little Yisrael grew up an orphan because his mother died soon afterwards. But those two final statements of his father, when he was five years old, became the two pillars of light that accompanied the Baal Shem Tev and his entire contribution to the Jewish world. Don't fear anything and anybody in the world outside of Hashem. Now what does that mean? It means as follows. If you don't fear Hashem, then you're going to fear somebody or something in the world because there's always something to fear from. There's always a boss. Even if I have a hundred million dollars in the bank, there's somebody who has two billion dollars in the bank and I want his money and I want to impress him. And even if I have 50 billion dollars in the bank, there's somebody else who has 80 billion dollars in the bank. <laughs> and I have to impress him. There's always somebody above me. The Baal father said, the only way you're not going to fear anybody or anything is if you have real, real Yerushalayim. 
If you have real, real Yerushamayim, then you don't have to fear anybody or anything. Then you really don't have to fear anybody. If not, of course you should fear people. If not, you're taka crazy. Why shouldn't you be afraid? You should be afraid. You should be afraid. But here we go one step further. Omnam, however, we go one step further. If the pshat, the meaning of the messages as we explained in chapter 3 of the Maimer, there's something that's amiss. What's the parable the Medrash gave to explain why Jews chose God? A king with dukes, governors, and military commanders. Now I want to ask you a question. Do they have choices? Of course they have choices. In fact, throughout history, military commanders revolted against the king. They often assassinated the king. Read a little bit about Roman history or other, other monarchs, how the king was always in danger because his closest people could destroy him. Military commanders, even in our, own, in our own times, have made decisions in contrast to the commander-in-chief. Of course they have choice. They were hired by the king. They were hired by the president. But ultimately, at some point, they could say, you know what, I'm not interested in this job. Maybe I'm going to quit. Maybe I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what you want me to do. And this happens in the United States of America. It happens in Israel. <laughs> it happens uh, in many, many other countries. So why would the Medrash bring this as a parable? It's the wrong parable. Here the parable is wrong because in the parable, right, by choosing the duke, the duke, you're actually going to get better. You, you, he, he has choice. He is the waiter in the restaurant. He may not own the food. He may not own the kitchen. He may have been brought in, but he has a lot of input. <laughs> he has a lot of input. The duke, the governor, the military commander, of course, they have tremendous input and they have choice. And they could give you more. They could make your life much better. So one second, you're telling me that the reason that the Jewish people chose Hashem is why? Because they realized everything else is Baba Maises, it's like thanking the hammer, it's just Hashem. But the metaphor then is off. <laughs> because the metaphor, the parable is people who do have choice. And by choosing them and worshiping them and being close to them and taking them and, and being, and having a relationship with them, you're actually going to get much more hashpa. In the nimshal, in the message, worshiping stars and constellations and galaxies and forces of nature is completely ineffective because they don't have choices. They're just robots. It's like you'll thank your computer for doing something, right? Your computer was just programmed. It's you'll thank the robot. Do you ever thank the robot? The robot was just programmed. Yes, the robot is very talented. When I take my car somewhere and you come to a destination, do you start offering an offering to your car for bringing you here? (laughs) 
maybe, but there's nothing. To, the car is, is a wonderful instrument. I couldn't do it without the car. But the car is just gegeisen beyadachaitzev. So why is the Medrash bringing this metaphor which seems inconsistent? So the Rebbe says you have to say that there's something much deeper here. The reason the wise man or woman says, I'm choosing the king, is not because the ministers are ineffective, they're worthless. They may have a lot of power. But in the marshal, it's because he wants to be with the king. And being with the king is more important than all the benefits he's going to get from the duke, from the governor, and from the military commander. That's the marshal. In the marshal, they do have a point. <laughs> These guys are good to be connected to. They have power. <laughs> they make choices. So the reason you're choosing the king is not because they're nothing. They don't really exist. They're robots. No, that's not true. You're choosing the king. Why? Because being with the king is more important than the benefits you're going to get from these people. Ah, if this is the case, the Nimshal is telling us something deeper. The nations, the pagans, used to worship the sun and the moon, or people who still worship, we all sometimes worship different things, versus the Jew who worships God. It's not just because they're making a mistake. They think the stars have choices. We know the truth. It's just an axe in the hand of the chopper. It's much deeper than that. It's because the question is, what's my priority in life? Is my priority in life, I want the benefit that's going to come from the duke, from the governor, from the military commander? The Umas Ha'olami says the main thing is, I want the flow. I want the hashpah. By the Jew, the main thing is, I want the truth and nothing but the truth. I want to have a relationship with the ultimate emes, which means, this is the metaphor of the king. What does this mean? Ooh, here we're introduced to a new concept. The main reason that they worshipped stars and mazolos it's not just because they made a mistake and they thought they have power. It's something deeper. Even if you know they don't have power. <laughs> to receive hashpa from Gedusha, you need bitl. <laughs> you need real bitl. I have to be able to transcend every element of egotism and narcissism. And I need to be able to become open vessel, transparent, translucent, extricating every last vestige of narcissism of any form or fashion. To get the flow through other forces, which is also all an instrument of God, but to go through them, you don't need bitl. You don't need to open yourself up to infinity. I could remain stuck in my comfort zone. Kedisa B'Zoya D'Zoya says, The Ruach Mesave is damen tadir b'magono uberei konaya. Unbelievable words in the Zoya. The spirit of impurity will always be available for free, even if you come empty-handed. K'may shekosav ha-shanoichel b'mitzrayim chinam. The Jews complained in Parshas Baaloischa, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt for free. E- Egypt will feed you for free. 
It's always for free. You don't need bittel. What is the Rebbe teaching us here? He's saying there's two types of relationships. There's a relationship that you need deep work. You need to work on yourself. I need to transform myself. I need to open myself because it's truth. And then there's a relationship. There is gratification without work. And the Zoyar says, how do you know? What's the litmus test? If you're involved in something that's going to really fill your soul, truthfully, or you're involved in something that's superficial. It's fake, and tomorrow you're going to need more and more, and you're still going to remain with a void, and the answer is how easy it is. Do you ever notice that relationships that are fake are very easy to cultivate? Promiscuity. Promiscuity. Znus, giluyarayas. Things like prostitution. War. Getting high through drugs. Getting high through alcohol. Escaping your misery through gambling. Escaping your misery through binging. Escaping your misery through certain websites. It's always free. It's always free. It's easy. It's a fast, quick fix. It's always there. The temptation is right there. It's available. It's inviting. It's tempting. And it looks beautiful. The food from Mitzrayim is always for free. The Zoyar says, Tumma is always available. Magona means for free. No money. No money. We're here. You know why? Because that's its power. I, I want to I explain this to you. This, we have to understand this well. What's the power of holiness over unholiness? One answer. Truth. Holiness means truth. It's a reflection of God. God means truth. Reality. Oneness. The word God is not really the right word because God sounds like a being. Here we're talking about God as the being. The word for Hashem is Havaya. Yud He was, He is, and He will be. In other words, God is the essence of reality. God is not a being in reality. God is reality. That's truth. That's the power of holiness. What's the power of unholiness? Nothing. It's a lie. So how can it compete? One answer. It's free. Kedusha is not free. Tumah is free. And within Kedusha itself, there's many levels. The deeper the Kedusha, the more you have to pay a price. The Hezvah Tutsich. The more the Kedusha, the more you have to pay a price. Why? Why? I don't want to pay a price. Because if it's real, if it's infinite, it permeates me in the deepest place. If it permeates me in the deepest place, it challenges me in the deepest place. If I want to be stuck in my trauma and my wounds and my ego, my fear, my insecurity, then I can only have a relationship with superficial things that don't demand from me truth, authenticity. Take the difference between marriage, okay? You'll forgive me. I just did this uh, this big uh, podcast, you may have seen it, I did with Ellie Nash, about addiction to immodesty, to websites, to people, to clubs, where people engage in relationships that defy the moral structure of families and marriages. What's the difference? The difference is those places... You pay a couple of dollars, maybe it's not free, but you pay a couple of dollars and you have fun, you're excited. What does it take to have a good marriage? A couple of dollars? A couple of dollars can help. (laughs) 
But that's not what it takes. It takes lifelong loyalty, work, commitment. But what's the difference? The difference is one gives you a relationship that's real, that's authentic, that's going to fill your soul, and one gives you a fake relationship that in a week from now you're going to be desperate again, or if you're lucky, in a day from now, and you need more. It's just like a drug. It's a, it's a distraction. It's not a fulfillment. Why is it not a fulfillment? Because it's not true. It doesn't really fill your soul. That's the litmus test the Zoyar says. If it's real Kedusha, it needs avoid. It needs to be real. It needs to permeate me. It needs to penetrate me. I have to open myself up to infinity. A real relationship means I'm really connected with you. If I'm really connected with you, I gotta work. I gotta work on my ego. I gotta work on my traumas. I gotta work on my vegas nerves. I gotta work on my PTSD. I gotta work on my fear. I gotta work on my need to isolate, to freeze, to fight, to flight. I need to work on my limbic brain, on my amygdala brain. I hope all of you know what I'm talking about. If not, come more often to the classes. I have to work on these things. Because a real relationship means I'm connected to you. A fake relationship means I'm not connected to you. You're not connected to me. It's just a superficial facade, a camouflage, a veneer that looks exciting, it feels exciting. I'm, I'm in a bad mood, so I go to the pantry, I take out food. Anybody knows about this? I take out a Danish, I take out potato chips, and I feel good for around seven minutes. And then after seven minutes, you look for another bag of potato chips. <laughs> and you understand here that I'm using potato chips also as a metaphor. <laughs> I'm not just talking about potato chips. I'm talking about different types of potato chips. Some of them are more expensive. <laughs> but it's the same concept. Free here doesn't mean that it doesn't cost money. Free here means you're not really paying the real price. And you have it in holiness itself. You have two types of teachers. You have two types of classes. You have two types of Rebbes. You have a Rebbe, you have a Rosh Hashiva, you have a class, you come, you don't have to change anything. <laughs> you could sit and remain stuck in the comfort zone. I could stay stuck in my comfort zone and listen to beautiful Torah and say, Ah, Agashmak! Now pass the Kishka, pass the Kishka, pass the jalapeno herring. And sometimes you sit by a Rebbe and you have to become a new person. Why? Because he wants to give you Ein Soif. He wants to give you infinity. And in order to absorb infinity... I have to let go of all my fears. I have to be able to be subsumed. Which one do you want? Which one do you want? Which one do you want in life? So the Rebbe says, I understand them. I understand. It's not just p'chire, not p'chire. It's not just they made a mistake that the kechavim are robots. No, it's much deeper. I want a relationship with something that doesn't challenge my core. I don't need avoida. I don't need bittel. I don't need a surrender. Garnished. I could remain stuck. V'oid, last line. V'oid, the last line of the page. V'oid, ta'amazah, sh'ratzah, l'kabal ha'shpah, sam'yakum, ek'chav ha'mazolus, ki gam ha'shpah atzmah, hanem shechaz ha'gav ha'mazolus, yigdoy lo'yoseh. Wow. T'mikivon, sh'yinikas ha'sitra achriu me'hamakif, sh'lamayla me'ishtal sh'luz, ha'asha ha'shpah, mishami sh'loyal pichajbin, harei ha'shpah hi'biribu y'gadol. Wow. Not only is it for free, you're also going to get much more. Why does it feel so much more gratifying when you run into addiction than when you go back to work on your relationship? Why? So he says, because all sitra achara 
gets its energy from makif. Makif means from the higher light of God that's not integrated. Because if it would be integrated, it wouldn't be able to be divorced from Hashem. The reason something could live off Hashem without being aware that it's Hashem is because it comes from a light that's called makif. It doesn't get, doesn't infuse the structure of the klipa of the sitra achira. So the sitra achira could still have an identity of sitra achira and still live off God because the godly energy is not integrated. It's not real. It's not authentic. It's makif. It's subconscious. It's superficial. Because of that, he's saying something unbelievable. The flow that comes from sitra achira is more powerful because it comes from a place that's makif. It's not mitzumtzum. You understand what we're saying here? So sitra achira is not only available for free, it's also going to be faster and stronger and deeper and more potent and more promising, at the surface at least. We'll see later everything changes as you get a little more mature in life. But at the surface, it's going to be so powerful. Kedusha, everything has to be integrated. He's, it's with a cheshben, because... It's, it, it, it's becoming one with me, so I need to earn it. I need to deserve it. Ooh, so now it's limited. So that's very, very intense. So that's why they go to Kechavim Amazalas. Number one, I don't want the bittel. Number two, I just, I want the quick fix. And number two, I want that intense, intense high. I want the high. Now we'll understand the pikeach. In addition to what we said before, that it's kegayz and biyad achoytzev, which is true, but there's something even deeper. The Pikeach. It's very deep. He says, to receive from real Kedusha, you have to work. You need toil, you need effort. And even then, initially the flow is going to be limited based on your Avoida. Initially. Later we'll see it becomes topsy-turvy. The relationship with authentic Kedusha allows for an infinite flow. But initially, you open yourself up and you get what you could get. You get what you deserve. You get based on your avoida. It's real. It's authentic. There's no shortcuts. The Jewish people say, I don't want the dukes. I don't want the governors. I don't want the military commanders. I don't want this intense flow. Even though we can also get Shefa from Lohumaza. We can also get at least temporarily. It's not going to last forever. No high lasts forever. Nothing fake lasts forever. But at least temporarily, you could get a flow from that place. And not only that, you're going to get more than everybody else. They're going to put you on top. You know why? Because Klippa, like bees, they go to honey. Klippa knows that the greatest holiness is in a Jewish soul. So if I can get a Jewish soul to me... I will give him much more than anybody else. It's like when thieves, they hire somebody who's really talented, they're going to give him a bigger share of the gold. A Jewish soul is going to get more than anybody else from Sitra Acher. That's why addiction for the Jewish people is very dangerous, because you're going to get more because the Jewish soul has much more potential. So initially, it's so promising, it's so gratifying. But the Pikeach says, I want truth. Anonosiv Malke. I, Malka, you want a relationship with MS? Boy, a relationship with MS needs avoid. It needs bittle. You pay the ultimate price. 
the Baal Shem Tov said, Hashem alekecha eish Hashem is fire. Why do you call Hashem fire? Why not water? So you know what the Baal Shem Tov said? Water you could sit at the bank of the sea or the ocean or the river and enjoy. You could dip your feet in. You could put your hands in. You can go swimming. You can go in. You can go out, right? You can go into the beach. You come out. You swim. He says, fire. Either you go in or you stay far away. With fire, either you stay far away and you don't have a connection to it. If you put your hand into the fire, it's done. So Hashem is MS. MS is not compartmentalized. There's no compromises. Either I stay far away and I watch it. Or, he says, if you want a relationship, I have to be ready to be subsumed in the relationship. I have to become one. Because that's what infinity means. Infinity means it encompasses everything. Everything is part of infinity. So the Pikeach says, Anonos of Malka. Even though if I go through the Garizonim, if I go through God's axes in the world, I will get much more, much faster, much more distractions, a much greater high. It's going to feel better. And I don't have to leave my comfort zone. I don't have to challenge my fears. I don't need Bittel. I don't need it. I'm a Chaya. I want the truth. That takes pikchas. That takes deep wisdom. Takes deep wisdom. Why? Because it seems like I'm substituting something so promising for something that's much less. Here I need to work. And I'm getting less. It's like taking a job where you get less money. You can get another job where you get more money. You don't have to work so hard. Why in the world are you taking an inferior job with less money? And the answer is, because of the melech. Because I want the MS. Which now brings us to step f- to chapter 5, which brings up a huge question. And that is, <laughs> is this a choice that is rational? Or is this a choice that is not rational? What makes one person choose this and another person not choose this? We will see the continuation of this mimer Sunday morning, 8 o'clock a.m. I hope to see you all there. And we will also see how this applies to each of our lives. In each of our lives, we make these choices constantly. As we will be Ezer Hashem learn in the next installment. Again, Sunday at 8 a.m. and then Sunday 7 p.m. and then Monday 8 a.m. Edavir Aleph Nissen. See you. You could join us Sunday on Zoom on the yeshiva.net, chabad.org, on COL, and on YouTube. Wishing you all a beautiful, beautiful day and an amazing Shabbos Hagadol. For those who live in my neck of the woods, we're going to have a Shabbos Hagadol drasha. 5.30 p.m. Shabbos afternoon. That's for men and for women with a mechitza special section for men, women, children are invited. That's Shabbos afternoon, 5.30 p.m., followed by Mincha at the Erchayim Shul in Muncie, 24 Shea Road, Muncie, New York, Tent Gimel, 5.30 p.m. And then I'll see you again Sunday morning. We also did a class on Tuesday for the women on Pesach how the three names of Pesach represent three stages of emancipation. Self-surrender, self-abnegation, self-actualization, and self-transcendence. You can look up the class on theyeshiva.net. Wishing you all a beautiful Shabbos. We'll take a couple of questions. Yeah, you're too holy to get that, Debaran.
How are you supposed to get that? You're a piece of Kedusha. How are you going to get that? No, we all are. That's what you're saying. Let me ask you a question, right? I'm going to give a very simple example. Yeah, I'm going to give a very simple example. If I'm sitting one night in my house and I'm down, I can do one of two things. I can actually work through what's bothering me, right? That takes vulnerability, self-control, awareness. Or (laughs) I can go onto my phone. I could start binging, I could start drinking, I can go here, I can go there. You get it? Sitra Akhir always means the fast, quick route to distract you from your void. Kedusha fills the void. Sitra Akhir distracts you from the void. Distractions can be fast and powerful and potent. And the power of Sitra Akhir always comes from Makif. Makif means it comes from infinite energy that doesn't get integrated in Kalim. Because if it would be integrated in Kalim, it wouldn't be Sitra Akhira. Sitra Akhira means my eye is not, a div- is not a conduit for the divine. In other words, there is dissonance. So how do I live? I live from God, but I live from God in a subconscious way. The subconscious is more powerful than the conscious. So the flow that comes from Sitra Akhira is always more potent because it comes from the superconscious forces. Kedusha gets filtered and condensed in a way that it's integrated. It's like two types of classes. You can go to a shear, the teacher blows your mind away, but you don't really understand anything. But you go away and say, wow, that was great, that was awesome. That was powerful. And then there's a shear that the person actually wants to change you. So what do they do? They bring it down. They bring down the information. You filter it. You condense it, right? Kedusha is always integrated. Sitra doesn't have to be integrated. So here's the issue, the Rebbe says. Number one, with Sitra you don't have to pay a big price. You get it there for free. And number two, you're going to get more. (laughs) Superficially, it's going to look like, and it's true, right now you're going to get more. It's going to be more satisfying. It's going to be intense. It's going to be... You know when people um, betray their relationships and they go to somebody else and they come back, they say, wow, so much passion, so much passion. Of course there was so much passion. You didn't have to pay a real price for it. It didn't have to be worked out. It didn't have to be integrated. You don't have to live with this person. You don't have to raise kids together. You don't have to run a house together. Of course. There's a therapist who told me once, that uh, most people who leave their marriages to go to somebody else with whom they had a connection to before, so 3% of them stay married, 97% of them get divorced. So I asked him why. He said something very deep. He says, because the relationship between these two people was based on 3% of their lives. 3% of their lives. He leaves his house, she leaves their house, they go out, and 3% of them bond. They're not connected to the bills, to the mortgage, to raising a family, to the daily. It, it's a fake relationship. It's 3% of my life, 3% of your life. When they get married, 3% of them stay married. So it's always, there's always an intensity, this passion, there's an expression. Shlaim Melech says, Mayim Gnuvim Yim Taku. The sweetest water is stolen water. <laughs> when water is stolen, it's sweet. When you buy water that's legal, it's not sweet. <laughs> when you steal, why is it so sweet? It's sweet because it's stolen. On a deeper level, it's sweet because it has that element of makif. So Kedusha needs a different type of relationship. A relationship with Kedusha is always with Havoid. It's not for free. It's not for free. Whenever people would give the Rebbe, by, people would come to Lubavitch Rebbe by dollars and give him a safer or give him something, he would always say, 
for a good tzach, daf men solen. For a good thing, you have to pay. And he would give them one dollar, two dollars. He said it's symbolic, but you have to pay because it says in Zoyar that only Mitzrayim gives you things for free. If it's a good thing, you have to pay. Payment here means you have to give up something. It's real. It's challenging me. It's triggering me. It's stimulating me. It's penetrating me. Something has to give. There's work. Avoida. Avoida. Right? They say the only type of work that you, uh, <laughs> you're initially, right at the beginning, you're already on the top, is when you're digging a hole. Everything else you start on the bottom. You understand about it? It makes a little sense. It's a good question. You're right. If somebody is having a, a night and you're feeling very down and very low, what do you do? Right? So one option is the yeshiva.net. <laughs> Listen to a class. Another option is do some exercise. Get involved in a project. Call somebody up a friend, and talk to them. Be open. Be vulnerable. And sometimes even a greater idea. Call somebody up who needs help and offer them love. Tell them I'm thinking about you. Send them a text. Send them a WhatsApp. Send them an email. Become a giver. Become a leader. Become a source of light. Open up a Gemara. Learn a Blat Gemara. Learn a Mishnah. Learn uh, learn the Parsha of Chumash. Learn, 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 learn something in Torah. Whatever part of Torah it is. Chumash, Chassidus, Halacha, Gemara, whatever it is, Mishnah, Shulchan Aruch, learn something and have a support system. It's very, very important. And sometimes we don't have anything available. I'm not in the mood of anything. And then the Sitra Achara, the impurity, lures me, says, come, 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 I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you, come. And it opens up the net and it's for free. It's always for free. On this little guy, everything is for free. You know this guy? Everything is for free. Yeah, maybe 60, maybe, you know, I have to pay uh, 150. Everything is for free. Exactly. Oh, your guy not, yeah. Beautiful. You look at your child. So uh, so the sister says, just come here. It lures you into the trap. And then an hour later, my void is filled. But it's not filled. It's this, It was just... I escaped it. I escaped it. I distracted myself from it. And that's always the key you have to ask yourself. Did you do something to help you fill the void? Then tomorrow you're going to be a changed person. And after tomorrow you'll do more work. And in 60 days there'll be major changes in your life. And in a year you may not recognize yourself. Or I just ran away from my void. I didn't really do anything. But it was much more promising initially, much more tempting, much easier. So that's the key. So that's the beginning of the explanation. What the pikchus is, I'm not going to the axes, I'm not going to the instruments, I'm not going to all the intermediaries in the world, which are not really intermediaries. But if I go there, I may be able to get that flow. It's also coming from Hashem, but it's coming through a way in which I can deceive myself that I am happy, but really I'm just having fun for a few moments but I'm busy dying, I'm not busy living. And you want to be busy living. Chevra, have a beautiful Shabbos. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes, you don't have to feel pressure, sometimes gardening is wonderful. These are all things that can be used in very beautiful ways. Taking a walk, taking a walk with your spouse, taking a walk with yourself. 
listening to something, you know? Maybe you need a little dancing, maybe a little dancing. Maybe some physical work is great, you know? Maybe playing with somebody you appreciate. I think the message of Kedusha is always to be curious about what triggered it. I'm looking for the pnimius. I'm looking for the authenticity. When I'm feeling down, I want to ask myself not how to run away from it. Ein oid malvadai means God is here right now. There's a message of Gaula here right now. I want to know what triggered this pain, what triggered this mood. And then I can get the help to work it through and understand where it's coming from. That's the exact opposite of Sitra Akhira. Tumma Sitra Akhira doesn't want you to do that. It doesn't want you to go to the MS. It doesn't want you to redeem yourself. It just wants you to eclipse yourself. So if it takes you away and distracts you, great. You don't deal with it. Kedusha is MS. It's Pnimius. So I have to go into it. And that's painful. That's what the Rebbe says there. You're not going to get a quick, fast, beautiful fix. You're going to have to work through the issue of Pnimius in an internalized fashion. But when you do that, you're going to become a different person. So you always want to be curious what is happening inside of you. And find out. Sometimes you will find out, sometimes you won't find out. But that's the focus. The focus is to work it through and then to become transformed from within. But that's a slower process. It's a, it exacts a price. It takes avoid. It takes humility, bittel. It takes vulnerability. And it's not a quick, swift fix. Because you have to work with your own issues, with your fears and with your traumas and with your wounds. And in the language of Tanya, I have to work through my animal soul. I have to work it through. And I have to elevate it and transform it and refine it and align it with its own truth. And see ultimately how there is oneness in my life. So that's the idea that it's it's much more mitzumtzum. It's not this flow, infinite hashpa that just comes easy. It doesn't work that way because... Because if you have to work it through, you got to, so to speak, get down to the nitty-gritty. And when you get down to the nitty-gritty, it's detailed, nuanced work. It's not this overwhelming, ecstatic feeling that overtakes me and washes everything away. Yeah. Of course, of course. When you're in the presence of a tzaddik, you see somebody who embodies bittel, somebody whose life is to be a conduit for Hashem. It becomes such a powerful source of inspiration for each of us to be able to find that ability within ourselves. That's why, you know, the privilege of being in the presence of the Rebbe for many years, for me personally, it shaped my life in such a profound way because you see somebody where Torah is so real and Yerushalayim is so real and Avas Hashem, Avas HaTorah, Avas Yisrael is so real that a person of flesh and blood becomes an embodiment where Hashem's Hashem's oneness becomes embodied in a person's life. So it inspires every person who can see it or hear it or be part of it in some form or fashion, physically or spiritually, to be able to find that within ourselves. And that's the function of a real tzaddik. The function of a real tzaddik, of a real teacher, of a real rebbe, is to be able to help people find that oneness within themselves.
That's what you're saying. Yeah, it's very true. And every one of us in our own way can be that little Rebbe for somebody else and for ourselves, you know. Reb Mendel, Fashtest. Okay, the Fashtest or the Defilst. We'll get to the next. Next next sheet is going to be about understanding versus feeling. Do we understand this or do we feel this? Do we know this or do we believe it? Okay, we'll get to, we'll get to the next one. Be'ezer Hashem. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.